namo tassa bhagavato arahato asama sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato asama sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato asama sambuddhasa when I was a, a nun at Amravati Monastery, um, I was the work nun, and there was a, a workshop, a building there that was dedicated to um, tools, which, you know, in the, in the way the forest tradition operated is, is, is that Usually what happened is is that for many years we were living on a very, very, very minimal kind of a budget. And so the monks and the nuns did everything. You know, we made our own shoes, we built the buildings, we did the gardening, we did the publications, we taught, we did everything. And so the the place where the tools was was a really important place because it meant that it, it facilitated us taking care of the buildings and the grounds and everything. So the workshop at Amravati was like hmm, six times the size of this space, okay? And it had um, a, a place for uh, in uh, um, building wood, it had a place for uh, electrics, it had a place for plumbing, it had a place for, for paint, it had big industrial tools, it had... Um, a whole wall full of screws and a whole other wall full of nails and um, it had a painting department. And I was in charge of it um, for I don't know how many years. Five years, six years, seven years, many years. And I remember when I first came to take charge of this thing, it was totally, completely overwhelming. (laughs) I mean, it was totally overwhelming. And so I, I remember just the experience of feeling just like, like daunted with, with the reality of what it was to take care of this. Because not only was I supposed to keep it clean and tidy, but I was also supposed to order the materials, and I was also supposed to keep it organized, and I was also supposed to keep the gorillas from misusing the tools, which was quite a, quite a task. <laughs> but I figured, out, I figured out how to do that. I figured out how. So the way to keep the gorillas from misusing the tools was to come to the breakfast morning with lectures about how to take care of the chisels and how to clean the paint brushes, and and then and then then I pasted a you know those wrathful deities you know I put one up above above the door you know it was like okay and then and then one of my colleagues he said you know. Watch out for the wrath of Thomas Auntie. <laughs> so I created a reputation, and then the reputation took care of the gorillas. Because you know everything in a monastery is vol- was volunteer, and people come with really, really, really good hearts, but oftentimes totally clueless, like totally, totally clueless. And I remember um, before I was the looking after the workshop, Siri Panya looked after the workshop. And Sri Panya is six feet tall and formidable woman and self-taught in, 
in building and construction and electrics and I mean she's just a brilliant person so a man came into the workshop and just by virtue of the fact that he was male decided that he knew everything about how to do everything and so he had a piece of of he had a piece of sheet metal and he went over to the wood table saw and he said how do I turn it on so I can cut this metal and she said excuse me <laughs> yeah he says where's the switch I just want to cut this really quickly <laughs> anyway she had a few words and an opinion about that way of using the, the wood saw and <laughs> Anyway, so I figured out that if I create a formidable reputation, then the formidable reputation will take care of the workshop that I didn't actually have to police it. And it actually was remarkable. It was phenomenal. But that didn't resolve, you know, the fact that I felt overwhelmed by the fact that I didn't know about plumbing and I didn't know about electrics. And I thought I understood about paint, you know, but I had no clue about paint, you know. There's porous paints, and there's undercoats, and there's primer paints, and then there's, there's like a whole bunch of different kinds of paints. And I had no idea that this was what happened with paints, you know. But I knew how to sweep the floor. I could do that. <laughs> and one of the monks had built this wood-burning fire. This, he, he was a, 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 an absolute craftsman, a genius, a complete maniac. And he had welded together this 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 fireplace so that it had a, a lid that you screwed on that opened up that was wide enough you could dump a whole garbage can full of burnable things in it you know so I'd, I'd sweep the burnables into one bin and then it was long enough so you could put a whole tree trunk in it you know it was like you could put a six foot section of tree trunk in it pile it up full of combustibles and ignite it and it would just so I would save the paint thinner. Is that what you call it here? We call it turpentine there. Terps. Paint thinner. I'd save the paint thinner from the brushes, especially after I'd terrorized everybody in the morning time about cleaning brushes. And then I'd load up the wood burning stove with the with the combustible things as well as the tree trunks. I'd douse it with the terps and ignite it and it, you know, <laughs> But it was built really well so that it could get red hot and shake, which it did frequently by the way that I treated it, and it wouldn't have a meltdown, which was really convenient because the workshop didn't melt down, didn't blow up, it didn't burn up, it was just fine, you know. So I knew how to sweep the floor and I knew how to light these crazy fires. And then, like, bit by bit, I would, like, move into territory that I was, like, terrified of. I didn't know about electrics, you know, and, and I didn't know about plumbing, you know. I learned about, I knew about screws. I knew I could sort the screws. So there was, you know, sizes and things like that. So people would come and they'd pile them up and there'd be a mess and I would spend hours sorting them into, you know, into into sizes and, 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 and thicknesses and lengths and put them back into my little boxes and I could, I could do screws and I could do nails. I could sweep the floor and I could light a fire. And then inch by inch I would move into these other territories that it was like, you know, I would get like like panic attacks, you know, 
going into these new areas that I didn't know. I didn't have any worldly reference points about what I had no idea what I was looking at or, or sorting. I had no idea. And then I'd say, well, relax. You know, you can do Sesame Street, you know. The blue things can go with the blue things, and the orange things can go with the orange things, and the square things can go with the square things. You can do Sesame Street. You don't have to know what all these things are supposed to do and what they're used for. You can do Sesame Street. So it's like, ah, you know, because I'm supposed to be responsible for this whole big place, and I'm in an area where I have no idea what it is that I'm supposed to do, okay? I don't know what these things are. I don't know how they function, and there's nobody around who's going to tell me, you know. So, okay, so if I reframe it in terms of something that I know, I know how to do Sesame Street, then the anxiety disappears because now I'm being responsible, I'm keeping it nice and tidy and organized, and I don't I need to learn a whole huge bunch of information about something that actually I'm never going to need to know. I don't need to know what all these electric components are for, you know. I know how to sharpen chisels, and so I sharpen the chisels, and then I would terrorize everybody when they pick up the chisels and they use them as, a, you know, for opening cans of paint, you know. God. And then I learned that no matter how often I terrorized them, they still didn't get it. So I kept the nice, sharp chisels locked up in the corner with, a, like, a huge padlock and electric shotgun. If they got near it without having permission, they didn't know what they were doing. So, you know, I got that sorted, you know. And so, you know, bit by bit, I would branch out into this whole territory. And, you know, some days it's like, you know, I wasn't feeling very well. And it's like all I could do was sweep the floor and sort the screws. It's like I don't want, I can't cope with new territory. You know, it's just like out of the scope of what I'm capable of right now. So I sweep the floor and I sort the screws and that would be it for the day. And then, you know, I do that several days in a row. And then I think, okay, but there's the whole rest of the place, you know. I can't just sweep the floor and sort the screws. You know, I need to be have my attention on these other areas as well, you know. And so for me, what it was really interesting was to know the difference between worldly confidence where I know how to sweep the floor and the confidence of bringing forward information that I know to a task that I'm familiar with and feeling the confidence of being able to navigate that. And the spiritual confidence that's required when you're going into unfamiliar territory. Because I didn't know plumbing, and I didn't know electrics, and I didn't know, you know, the, the, the whole huge varieties of paints, you know. But I could watch the kind of trepidation of I'm in some place that I'm, I don't know, and the anxiety of I need to know, I'm, I, I should know, I, I, I'm supposed to know, I'm, I'm responsible for something here. And then, and then trying to frame it, well, what actually am I responsible for? You know, I don't actually need to know all of the different usages of all of the different paints. I need to know how to keep them tidy. That's what I need to know. And I need to know when I need to order certain things. That's what I need to know. So I need to remember that just because I'm in dealing with a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not familiar with, 
It doesn't matter that I don't know all of the applications that it's supposed to be used for. I have to keep focused on what my job is. But even still, like, you know, I would get panicky, you know, anxiety, just absolutely anxious about the fact that I was in a territory that I felt so uncomfortable with and unfamiliar with. You know, I did not know. So the spiritual confidence is to work with what's arising. So when I would feel that kind of anxiety and trepidation, I would work with it in terms of, okay, well, what do I know? What I know is, is that I could, when I relax into my body, when I relax the tension of fighting this, that this is not supposed to be here, when I relax into another kind of refuge, the refuge of knowing, okay, the refuge of truth, the refuge of the like collective aspiration to awaken, then that gives me the ground to navigate stuff that on a worldly level I have, I have very little... Um, information about so it would it would allow me to inch into places that just felt like I didn't want to go there but the frame of the fact that I was responsible for the whole place made it so that I would explore these territories even if they were not places that I feel comfortable and there were not places that I wanted to explore because there was the overall sense of the whole place is my place to look after and, you know, it's not because it's mine, it's because I'm doing this in service for the community, you know. And the, the more cohesive and well-run the workshop is, then the better it functions to support everybody doing all the projects that they were doing. And, you know, Amravati was a big place. There were 34 buildings on the site, you know. It was, it was a big place. And, you know, it, it took us a long time to learn how to work it, you know, so that it worked right. Anyway, this whole learning about being in the workshop and dealing with all of this was very instructive for me because there's an awful lot of similarities about what we're navigating in our, in our worldly lives as well as what we're navigating in our spiritual life. So in the last couple nights, I've been talking a little bit about, you know, my sense of path, which is, you know, it's an intricative path. It is not just limited to my body, heart, and mind. It includes the whole world, you know. So, like, when I feel like, you know, the, the world around me is healthy and radiant, then it feels like that's right, that's part of my path. You know, so when the plants are happy, when the skunk is happy, when the fawns are happy, I feel like I am, that's my, that's my path, is to create a part of the universe that, where the beings that come can be nourished and can be well. So it isn't just limited to my own physical body, heart and mind it's it's it it is it is certainly includes that it includes the personal relationships that i have with people but i'm also interested in in developing structures and leadership modalities that make sense in our contemporary world where we're not interested in gurus you know who needs them <laughs> You know, too much of a, we have too much to offer to be willing to put all of that aside and follow somebody's dictates, you know? And so it's like, all right, so it's like, all right, I'm not just interested in navigating my own personal mind. I'm interested in, 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 in a whole s system. And there are plenty of times when I feel totally overwhelmed. <laughs> 
mean, even just navigating my own body, heart, and mind, there are places where it feels totally overwhelming. But when I look at the range of the kinds of places where I feel interested in and the lack of knowledge that I have about all these different things, it feels like I'm completely out of my depth. And then I go back to, well, when do I need to do Sesame Street? You know, when do I need to work with what I know? When do I need to get a little bit more knowledge? You know, and how is it that I can meet with what's arising and then inch forward with a little bit of something in some of these different domains and see what starts to happen? You know, if it starts to begin to knit together or it feels like I'm, you know, disparate and like frazzled and kind of like all over the map. Okay? So the vision is the kind of overarching perspective of what it is that we're wanting to do. And so for me, in the workshop, the vision was is that it was the whole workshop. It was the tools inside. It was the wood outside. It was keeping the, the, the chisel sharp and changing the, the, the blades on the, on the saws. You know, it was ordering things. It was keeping it tidy and safe. Okay, it was the whole thing. And when I got there, I knew maybe 10% maybe less, maybe 4% of what it was that I needed to learn. But for whatever which reason, I accepted the responsibility of being in that position, and, and that position kind of encouraged me to move into all of these territories that were unfamiliar and learn what I needed to learn. And also, be clear, there was lots of things that I didn't need to learn. It was completely adequate to play Sesame Street in the electrics department. I never needed to know what all that junk was. <laughs> and the same with the plumbing department. I never needed to know what it all was. But I could do Sesame Street, and that worked fine. So when I was clear about what my actual responsibility was, then it made it possible for me to navigate the territory and be effective and responsible and not constantly being overstimulating myself with learning information that was actually irrelevant. Out of the anxiety that if I didn't learn all of this junk, then somehow I'm not being responsible. So what is my responsibility is actually a really important question. What is the vision? What do I want to accomplish? And what is it that I need to know? What's the least amount that I need to know in order to do this effectively? You know, and who can I ask? Who knows what I don't know? Who can actually, I don't need to get the information from them, but, you know, is there something that I need to know about this? And so, you know, this happens to us all of the time. It happens in our daily life and it happens in our spiritual life. It happens all of the time. We're constantly confronted with situations where we don't know. And we feel anxious because we feel like we're supposed to know. And so we need to figure out, okay, what's the vision? What's the scope of what it is that we actually feel responsible to in engage with? And what is the least amount of information that we need in order to move forward? So, 
When I wasn't feeling well, I did the things that I felt comfortable with and confident to do. I swept the floor and I sorted the screws. And then either because I started feeling anxious if I was doing that for too many days in a row, or I started to feel a little bit more confident, then I would branch out and move into territory that was unfamiliar. And if my energy would crash or something would happen, I'd go back to sweeping the floor and sorting the screws until I got more confidence again to, to go back into the territory that was unfamiliar until there was a little bit more competence and confidence in that area. Now, one of the uh, people who was also on the site, who was, you know, one of the maintenance men who was working there, his name was Lee. And, you know, the monastery, you know, we have this kind of like value of doing everything as inexpensively as possible. And, and Lee would, would have tantrums, absolute complete meltdowns and tantrums, because our sense of doing things as least expensively as possible was actually costing a fortune. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, so one of the things that happened forever is, is that we'd let all of the supplies run out, and then, you know, when we needed them, then after that we would order them. And so, you know, you're in the middle of a project. You've got 15 people who are volunteers. You go and look, and none of the things that you need are there, you know, because of this value that you don't ever have anything stocked up because somehow that's not frugal, you know. So I don't know how many years of meltdowns and tantrums and... and and hissy fits Lee had before he shifted the system and we would actually go and keep it well supplied. You know, we'd think in advance about the kinds of basic things that we needed and we keep the workshop well supplied, you know, because it just is ridiculous. You've got 17 people showing up to volunteer and you, you spend three hours trying to get stuff because it's not there. I mean, it just doesn't, it just, I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. And then we also had this brilliant idea that, you know, if it didn't matter if you didn't know how to do something, you could just make it up. <laughs> and I was in that position plenty of times. So I remember going into a, a building and the floor was completely rotted. So I just picked whatever pieces of junk I could find to patch it together and, you know, and makeshift a floor so until it rotted again. And, you know, and, and Lee would find these things, and oh my goodness, the tantrums he would have. <laughs> so then he said, absolutely not. The monks and nuns are not doing the stuff they don't know how to do because it's a nightmare to refix it. You know, to actually pull all of that stuff out and start again and do it right takes five times the effort to do it right in the first place. So he says, enough of this. This is stops. This stops. This is completely stops. I'm not doing this anymore. It stops. You know. <laughs> so as a result of his tantrums, we shifted from this kind of like make it up, do it as you figure it out kind of system to something that actually had a lot more building sense in it where you do it right from the beginning. You don't make it up. And, you know, you... And so... But it's like, you know, our values was just to do the best that we can with what we knew and, and that we would somehow figure it out on the other side of things. 
And and that's often like the evolution of a community is is that you start with something that's that's um, simple and what you can manage, and then you recognize that after a while, it's actually not in anyone's best interest to continue with that same way. So it needs to evolve. The community ethos needs to evolve to to recognize the increasing complexity and also the increasing competence that comes on board. Yeah. So Ajahn Sumedho, for many years, you know, he was really wanting to work with the practice. And so to work with the practice, he'd say, the builders are baking and the bakers are building. So that they're not actually solidifying their identity of who they are, right? So when the builders are baking, the bread tastes like wood. And when the bakers are building, then the buildings are like bread. <laughs> so I don't know how many years we had bread buildings and, and wood baking. But then at some point we said, you know, what actually is helpful is to have people who are comfortable and confident in certain areas to do certain things, you know? It it kinda kinda makes sense, really. <laughs> so a monastery is an interesting cauldron because, you know, it's 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 meant to be a place where people are practicing. And so it's it's good for people to be exploring edges. But how edgy do you want to make it, you know? And so, you know, that sensitivity of, you know, where people's limitations are and capacities are and how much they're in territory that's unfamiliar and how much support that is needed for them to, to use that in a way which is really um, conducive, you know. It's very individual, depends. So a monastery is, is really about both creating something that is sustainable and effective, but it's also about having people have an opportunity to, to explore and to learn and to grow. And, and so there are plenty of situations where people are doing things that they've never done before in a monastery because that sort of just shows up that, well, that's kind of the way it kind of panned out, you know. So when there's vision and focus, the vision is the larger perspective and the focus is the individual task that one's engaged with in the present moment. So when I took up the responsibility of looking after the workshop, the whole workshop, the building, all the things inside the building, all the wood supplies outside of the building, you know, all the building materials connected to the workshop was part of my territory. And yet, any time I picked up a particular task, that was the focus of the of the item that I was working on. But I couldn't focus on it to such a degree that I lost sight of the whole thing. Okay? And I couldn't get so spaced out envisioning the whole thing that I forgot the individual tasks that needed to be picked up and attended to. So vision and focus are constantly working together. Now, in terms of our own practice, we have the vision of what our aspiration is. What is our deepest aspiration? You know, what do we really want? What do we really want more than anything else? 
And that changes. It's not like it's one thing and it stays the same forever. But what is our deepest aspiration? And is that something that you have a sense of as you move through the individual tasks that you engage with? It's helpful to have a sense of what that is. Now, it's not for me to tell you what it should be. But I can say that when you pick different things, it has different results. And then when you're engaged in focusing on a particular theme or thread or task or developmental um, process, can you engage in that and not lose sight of the vision? So as human beings, our minds are radiant and luminous. They're undefiled. Awareness pervades time and space and is not impacted by any of the conditioning that we have. Love is unconditioned and as it's, and is the essence of who we are. Do you know that? And so we pick up these particular tasks. It could be developmental or trauma-based or working with effort or some other component, maybe learning some energy modality or developing communication skills so that we're able to engage more with the people around us or working with some kind of a leadership modality that allows collaboration. And all of these are part of, of, of the whole picture, but it's important not to lose sight of the vision. That even if we're working with an aspect of, of trauma or, or, or releasing conditioning that we've experienced because we've been through things that are, that are horrendous or cruel or crippling, you know, and there's places of contraction and tightness or there are places that aren't flowing or there's parts of our heart we don't have access to or there's parts of our body we don't have access to. That does not obliterate the fact that mind is radiant and luminous and undefiled. That unconditioned love is our essence. And there is nothing that we can do and there's nothing that can happen to us that can actually change that. There is no way that we are anything other than fundamentally pure. As our essence. And yet when we've got our nose to the grindstone and we're working with some of the stuff which is feels everything other than pure and infinite and unconditionally loving. It's really, 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 really easy to lose perspective and think, this is what I am. This is what I'm working on. This is not what I am. Big difference. Big. So, the tasks 
give us more capacity to access what is true. Our dropping in and understanding our essence, our essential nature, the essential nature of the mind, gives us the fortitude and the courage to do the work with the tasks. They dovetail together. And I have not experienced a kind of like release and dropping into the unconditioned in a way where none of the conditioning that I've experienced no longer has any relevance. I have heard on extremely rare occasions that this is something that can happen for people. I haven't experienced it, and I don't personally know anybody who has. doesn't mean that it can't happen for you, but I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> So we work both sides. We work the conditioning. We pick up the bits and pieces of the conditioning that is weighing us down, that is dragging us, that is pulling us sideways in order to release the, the, the whatever it is that's keeping us in that rut without losing sight of the bigger picture of who we are in this vibrating, pulsing universe of awareness and unconditioned love. 